This afternoon, we will be looking at what Scripture teaches about the fourth commandment, as summarized by Lord's Day 38 in the Heidelberg Catechism. So to that end, we will now read Lord's Day 38. Lord's Day 38, beginning at question 103. What does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained, and that, especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works, let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Thus far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If I wanted to get to know you a little bit better, and were to ask you to write down a list of things that you really enjoy doing, what would you include on that list? I suspect that I would find a number of probable items on that list. Perhaps I would find such things as summer barbecues, playing soccer and hockey, Camping, listening to classical music, playing games with family and friends, or maybe something as watching an impressive summer thunderstorm. And the list could go on. And those things are all things we are allowed to enjoy. They're gifts from our Heavenly Father. But when we think of things that we really enjoy... Does it ever occur to us that this Lord's Day, this day of worship, is something given us us by God that we are meant to enjoy to the full? If we do not enjoy keeping the fourth commandment, we should perhaps ask ourselves why that is. Maybe we view the Lord's Day simply as one big restriction on our lives. Maybe we see the fourth commandment simply as keeping us from enjoying all those other things that we would include on that list of things we enjoy. Yesterday, I had the wonderful opportunity to go boating on Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea Lake. And I, it was very nice. It was very enjoyable. And perhaps in your heart of hearts, that's where you'd rather be right now. But if we feel that way... Maybe we don't understand the significance of the Lord's Day or the blessings that come from keeping the fourth commandment. You see, the Lord has not given us the fourth commandment to make us miserable. Far from it. Through this commandment, he intends to give us wonderful rest in many ways. 
And when we begin to understand the good that the Lord brings through the Lord's day, then it really becomes something we do enjoy and enjoy to the full. So I bring to you God's word under the following theme and points. By keeping the fourth commandment, God's people enjoy rest. We enjoy, first, a weekly physical rest, second, a promise of eternal rest, and third, an ongoing spiritual rest. Right when one begins reading the Bible from the very beginning, does not, from the book of Genesis, does not take long to read about one aspect of the fourth commandment, a day of rest. After creating humans on the sixth day, the pinnacle of his creation, Genesis 2 verse 1 gives a summary statement. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And upon finishing his creative work, then one might think this, this would also be the end of a week and that the next day would start the second week. And indeed, God could have done this. But the week had not yet been completed, for God intended another day, a seventh day, to be there. Genesis 2, verse 2 and 3 says, On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God did not end the week with the sixth day, but made another day a day of rest. One thing that this shows us is that a regular pattern for our week was established in the way that God created the world. On the fourth day, God created the sun and the moon. Genesis 1 verse 14 says that one of the purposes the sun and moon was to be markers of seasons and for days and years. And we can see that in the movement of the sun and, and of the moon, that they give us markers for things like years and months. But what about a week? There's nothing in the rotation of the earth or the movement of the moon that tells us that a week should be one, seven days. And in fact, other cultures have had weeks that are longer than seven days. Yet a seven-day week is grounded in creation. It is marked off by the length of God's time that he created the world. God worked for six days and then he rested for one. Genesis 1 also tells us that God created humans in his own image. And one way that we as humans reflect God's image is by following that pattern that he established at creation. We too have been given six days to work and rest for one. This is something God tells us in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. God told his people to rest on the Sabbath day because that's what he did at creation. And we can reflect God's image by doing that. And when we look at how God created this world and the pattern of work and rest that he has given us, we can thank him for giving us this seventh day. It is a great blessing that he has given us this pattern to follow. Our Lord is not a slave driver. He does not make us work every day of our lives, slaving away at our jobs. 
He has given us a day to refresh ourselves from our daily labors and enjoy physical rest as a gift from his hand. And this truly is a blessing from our God. Now, not much about physical rest is mentioned in Lord's Day 38, but it is there in the words, especially on the day of rest. Now, if we were to refuse to live according to, according to God's set pattern, lay down at creation, we would soon wear ourselves out. Living that way is not the way of blessing. If we insisted on working for seven days a week, we have to ask ourselves whether or not we think we are, in, whether or not we are wiser than God. Do we perhaps think that we can get along fine without this good gift from our Heavenly Father? Or instead, do we rejoice that God has given us this gift of weekly rest? Do we enjoy it in the way that he has designed it for us? Do we see his goodness in this gift? And this day of rest is even more appreciated after God cursed the ground because of sin. In Genesis 3, after the fall into sin, God told Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. See, after the fall into sin, work became hard. And our Lord had every right to revoke the original pattern set at creation of working for six days and resting for one. And when he cursed the ground so that work would become hard for us, he could have cursed it to the point where we would need to work seven days a week just to survive, just to live. But if he had done this, then our work would be way too much for us to bear. But God was gracious to humans even in the way he cursed the ground. He still kept the original order of creation and and maintained that day of rest. And every day of rest is another reminder of God's grace in this regard. It is surely a reason for thanksgiving. And this brings us to our second point. In the first point, we just saw that by resting on the seventh day, God called man to participate in a weekly physical rest. However, God's rest in Genesis 1 also pointed to something greater than that. And we read a bit about that greater significance in our reading from Hebrews 3 and 4. And I'd like to go through that passage for a moment right now. Our reading from Hebrews 3 and 4 is all about taking care to enter God's rest. That is, God's eternal rest. And the author of Hebrews first exhorts the readers with the words of Psalm 95, saying, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like your forefathers in the desert who were traveling towards the promised land. They continually provoked God and did, and did not trust him. And so God made an oath in his anger, saying, They shall never enter my rest. And what the author of Hebrews is telling his audience here is this. 
The promised land in the Old Covenant, the land of Canaan, was a rest and inheritance promised to the Israelites from God. However, the people that were originally promised that rest did not enter into it because of their unbelief. And the author, through the Holy Spirit, says, Do not make the same mistake as that unbelieving generation that died in the wilderness. Now, a Jew who who read that warning might think, How could we make the same mistake as them? Sure, that original generation died in the wilderness, but the next generation entered into that rest through the leadership of Joshua. And the author of Hebrews anticipates that objection and says, Hold on a moment. If Joshua had given the people ultimate rest, then God, in Psalm 95, through David, would not have spoken of another day later on and warned his people about not entering into his rest. You see, Psalm 95 was written to people who were already in the land of Canaan, that land of rest. And from that, we can see that the Old Testament promised land was not the ultimate rest that God's people should be waiting for. Rather, the promised land in the Old Testament pointed to a greater rest, an eternal rest that God calls his people to enter into and enjoy with him. And not only that, but in Hebrews 4 verse 4, the author connects God's promised eternal rest not only with the Old Testament promised land, but also with God's resting on the seventh day after creation week. So then, also, God's resting at the end of creation week pointed to something beyond itself. Not only pointed to a weekly physical rest, but also to something beyond that. To the eternal rest that humans are called to enter into and enjoy with God. As a result, says the author of Hebrews, as God's people, we all still here have the promise of entering into God's eternal rest. All of us here do. And he tells us that our situation here in Owen Sound is a lot like those Israelites in the desert traveling towards the land of Canaan. And he warns us, do not make the same mistake that they did. He says in chapter 3, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, all of us here could end up like those Israelites. They all had the promise of entering into that temporal rest, but hardness crept into their hearts so that they would not believe God's promises. And we all have that same sinful heart within us. In our fallen state, our hearts doubt God and turn away from Him. And that is why it is so important, as the Catechism says, Lord's Day 38, that on the day of rest, every Sunday, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word. 
And it is so important because as the word of God is faithfully preached, the Holy Spirit uses that word to cut away the hardness of our hearts that produces unbelief. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Sometimes it might not be a pleasant experience to come under the preaching of God's word because sometimes it does cut us right to the hearts and it does expose our sinful hearts. But although it might be painful at times, the word of God performs a delightful heart surgery that cuts away the hardness of our hearts And it does so by working repentance in us and strengthening our faith so that we do not fall short of the promised rest, but that we might enter into it. And Hebrews 4 verse 11 exhorts us, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. One way we express this diligence to enter into that rest by listening every week to the preaching of God's word, by taking part in the sacraments, and calling publicly upon the Lord. These are all important ways to strive to enter into that rest. We do not just relax from our work to take a holiday, but also so that it might be devoted to God, that he might strengthen our faith, and that we might enter that rest. And this is one reason also why Hebrews 10 later on says, Let us not stop meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And indeed, let me encourage all of you. Look at the wonderful promise you have as God's people you have the promise of entering into God's rest, his eternal rest. What an amazing promise that is from our God. A promise that the world out there does not have. And that eternal rest that we are striving to enter into, it will be wonderful. Think about the first Sabbath rest after creation week. Adam and Eve had just been created on the sixth day and on the seventh day, the first day of their lives. They got to begin enjoying their lives as God's children, enjoying delightful rest with the God that had just created them. They would have experienced supreme joy and delight in the presence of their creator, praising him for his goodness and enjoying the wonderful creation he had just made. Isn't that delightful? Well, that's where we're going for an eternity. That is the kind of fellowship and rest we will get to enjoy with God forever. That is a wonderful promise from our Lord. So why would we not want to hear about that promise every week? So that our faith would be strengthened. And that we would finally enter into that rest at the end of our lives. And that brings us to our third point. The fourth commandment does not just guide us into physical rest. 
there is also a spiritual element to this commandment. And the second half of answer 103 in the, in the Lord's Day 38 points this out. When asked, what does God require in the fourth commandment? The second half of the answer is, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works. Let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. What this is talking about is that in our fallen state, we were slaves to sin. Satan was our full-time employer, so to speak. We were willingly working for sin and Satan, and we were not getting any, any holidays either. And yet, as slaves, we received bitter wages. See, most slaves do not receive any wages from their work. But when we, were, when we were slaves to sin and Satan, we were getting wages. Romans 6 verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. This is what slavery to sin produces. It produces death in our lives. And since we were slaves to sin, we were producing nothing but death. But all of that changed with the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who rescued us from this terrible slavery we were in. Christ was born free from sin, and he served his father his entire life, refusing to submit to slavery to Satan. And then Christ was crucified on the cross for our sins. Scripture tells us that we were all united with Christ in his death. And on the cross, our old sinful natures, which were slaves to sin and Satan, were put to death with Christ so that we would never be slaves to Satan again. Then, on the first day of the week, Christ, our righteous Savior, rose from the dead. And through faith, again, we are united to our resurrected Savior. Like we were united in Christ's death, we are also united to his resurrection. And through Christ's resurrection, we now have new life within us. We have been given a new nature through this that is able to serve God and righteousness instead of sin and Satan. In Deuteronomy 5, the Israelites were commanded to keep the Sabbath day by remembering that they were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord had delivered them from their slavery. And it is much, much the same for us. We were slaves to sin, but God delivered us from that slavery through the death and resurrection of Christ. And we may now enjoy rest from our evil works and serve the living God. That deliverance from slavery was accomplished on the first day of the week. And this is one reason why we now set aside the first day of the week for the day of rest. Like the Israelites remembered their slavery in Egypt and God's deliverance, we too now commemorate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior where our freedom was secured for us. And as we set aside each Lord's Day to remember the death and resurrection of our Lord, the Holy Spirit works in us by that message to turn every day of the week into a type of Sabbath. 
Through faith in our Lord, we begin more and more each day of the week to renounce slavery to sin and Satan and to serve the Lord every day of the week. You see, the power of Christ's resurrected life begins breaking into our lives so that on every day of the week we might serve him. And so one way that we can live in line with the fourth commandment is to rest from our evil works. God desires to bless us with true rest. But slavery to sin will never give us that rest. Paul asked the believers of Rome in Romans 6, What benefit did you reap when you were enslaved to the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But as we become slaves of our Lord Jesus, we become free. Christ himself said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In becoming slaves of righteousness, we soon find that Christ's burden is easy and light. And that is the way we begin to experience true rest in this life, by becoming slaves of God. There is much joy in that service. And that is how the eternal Sabbath breaks into this life, as Lord's Day 38 mentions. So in all of this, we can see that the fourth commandment is a great blessing from God. Some may view it as a burden, but when we see the rest that is enjoyed through it, Instead of being a burden, it will become a great delight. Our God extends to us one blessing after another through it. We enjoy physical rest every week. And every week again, we can hear about that wonderful promise of eternal rest. And again, every day of the week, we begin to experience that eternal rest already as we resist slavery to sin and become slaves to God. Amen.